0: At the end of the day, Las Vegas knows how to regulate sin. So, you know, however you want to look at this industry, we know what we're doing in terms of kind of ensuring that it's being operated properly.
1: This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and
2: tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields. and With me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Chris Laporte of Reset. Chris, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for having me.
1: Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. Really excited to talk to Chris. Really excited to learn about the Vegas cannabis scene and what's going on out there. And... uh You know, it's just nice to have another West Coaster on the show, finally.
2: That's true. Chris (laughs) does reside on the West Coast, but I think it's critical to bring up the fact that Chris is originally from New York, so I don't think it's fair to put him solely on the West Coast. Chris, your opinion, East Coast or West Coast?
0: I've planted my flag now in Vegas. I have a kid out here. I've been here for 17 years. I guess I'm a West Coaster. It's 57 degrees and I'm cold. I think I'm a West Coaster. We're definitely editing that
2: part out. <laughs> so, Chris, for our listeners that aren't familiar about you, can give a little background about yourself. Sure. So, real quick, um, I was in the
0: medical device world once upon a time. Uh, opened up a nightclub because that's the way to make you know drastic moves in life. Um, and then after I closed the doors for that venue, I started working with my business partner on the cannabis regulations for social use lounges. This is going as far back as 2017. Um, we are now in 2023. October of last year we finally got approval of all regs for cannabis dispensaries to have lounges as well as independent entrepreneurs and social equity applicants so you know we're very proud of the work that we've done over the course of you know six seven years and we're just excited to you know start bringing cannabis to a new Forefront which is you know the new buzzword is cannabis hospitality
2: yeah so I, let's let's stay right there what what does that mean?
0: whatever you want it to be. You know, I keep making the joke that we have to figure out how to make money in this industry because taxes and all the other things that we have to deal with. So, you know, whether you want to do a laundromat and allow your your guests to smoke some weed, cool, do that. But, uh, you know, the reality is Las Vegas is known for hospitality. We know how to throw a party. We know how to make a nice dinner. And we know how to tuck you in bed at night with our hotels. So, you know, the idea of anything that Las Vegas can create in a brick and mortar venue and simply sprinkling some weed on it, you know, you have cannabis hospitality.
2: I think that's so clearly said. So kind of going through the process of getting the licensing, was there any sort of additional challenges that cannabis poses? Obviously, Vegas is known for Sin City and all those opportunities, but was there any sort of additional areas where, let's say, cannabis was put to the side or was it concluded just like all the other opportunities?
0: You know, I think what was fascinating about this process, while it did take a long time to get to where we are today, our regulators were actually rather forward-thinking, thankfully. So we found ourselves, you know, in a true partnership with our government officials, and while there's still, you know, the, just the typical stereotypical nonsense, you know, whether secondhand smoke is going to get us all bloodshot eyes and high as a kite and, you know, just the dangers of this, that, and the third, you know, we just were able to have a, you know, adult conversation about like, we sell a lot of alcohol in this town. We're kind of okay with that. You know, there's a lot of other things that we do here. And at the end of the day, Las Vegas knows how to regulate sin, so, you know, however you want to look at this industry, we know what we're doing in terms of kind of ensuring that it's being operated properly. So, you know, long-winded way of saying it really wasn't as hard as you'd think when you look at some of the other challenges that we've had in the past.
1: Do you think that, that some of those stereotypical shenanigans, if you will, are what kind of facilitated the, the long runway to actually rolling out consumption? Because in my mind, it's like... People have been smoking weed, anyways. You're selling it. Like, why wouldn't consumption just initially follow legalization? You know what I mean? From a, a lounge perspective, I
0: think it was less of the, you know, the stereotypes. You know, think looking back on it with the way you posed that question, and more about just the fear of the unknown, right? Like, this is something brand new. This is, you know, while I have been preaching forever, this isn't anything brand new. I am replacing a beer with a joint. You know, whatever. Um, but to a lot of people, there are concerns, right? We don't have enough science. You know, anecdotally, we know what we know because we've been in the space, right? But at the yeah. same time, was there like a study in like psychology journal January of this year where they're like, oh, cannabis isn't a gateway drug? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but, you know, now there's a study that says so. So now we could say, okay. And, you know, I do think it's because for so long we've been working off of kind of what we understand within our, and I say, niche community. We can say we're as big as we want to all day long because the numbers are large, but because we haven't seen enough of this break into the mainstream, there's a lot of having to educate a lot more people than you think because, you know, our, our view of this world you know, we get it. I mean, we all wear white hoodies on podcasts.
2: You know, we know what we're doing. We have our language. I think that's so fascinating, too, because when you brought up the fact that people are unsure about cannabis and the opportunities and potentially the effects, when the studies come out about alcohol and everyone sees how dangerous it is, it's not like there's this big push to say, you know what, we're closing all the bars.
0: Cannabis isn't necessarily American culture yet right? Like American culture and cannabis is pretty ugly, right? It's a very long history of just ugly. At the same time, if I can go back to movies from the 30s, 40s, I mean, shit, let's talk about Casablanca, right? That movie's about a guy on a bar. It doesn't get any more American than that. So I do think, you know, it's something where these venues are going to be so imperative for the success of this industry, because we're going to normalize cannabis, right? And we're going to make it more approachable and less of this you know, even when we were looking at the regs to get these lounges open, I made the joke all the time about we're not opening we're not opening up opium dens. But there are people who are like, But are you? <laughs> so you know, there, there's just there's just a lot of the unknown that we're still navigating and these lounges will allow us to do that. And I'm excited about it.
2: Yeah, so are we. And Kel and I were very fortunate that you took us around and kind of shared that vision. So we're looking forward to kind of diving into today. So can you kind of share, you know, what the vision is and the partnership with the company form?
0: Sure. So Reset's partnered with Thrive Dispensary, and they have a number of dispensaries in Las Vegas. Forgive me, Thrive Cannabis Marketplace is the proper terminology for these unbelievably amazing partners. And they have a new location on Sammy Davis Jr. Drive, which is really close to the Strip, which is an exciting location. And, you know, what we want to do, and it's a fascinating challenge here, is that I want to be nimble. And now I'm going to talk about me while I'm also talking about us collectively. But like, we want to be nimble because there's this amazing dichotomy between like the legacy market and like the activism market and just the traditional market. And then there's tourists and there's two very different worlds that we want to try to bring in together. And, you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done on both sides, right? We have to teach the tourists and, you know, some of the more non-endemics or the newbies as I call them or the normies, you know, this is what our culture is. But at the same time we have to ensure that our traditional cannabis, you know, loyalists, are also offered an experience that they are going to enjoy, and they're going to feel comfortable, and there's an inclusivity for all. And while it sounds great, it's going to be hard. So what we're trying to do is, from an operational experience, is to allow a guest to come into this dispensary and choose. I want to buy some cannabis and just go about my day or do I want to hang out this lounge and enjoy cannabis in a social setting and this is my big key thing here is social we call them consumption lounges once upon a time and that term is ugly consumption Blech. yeah so social use lounges why because cannabis is social i time for as long as i've been smoking i've been passing a joint so that's social i've been with friends um clearly the lonely stoner you know etymology is out there as well we'll figure that out but you know to create a venue where you can come in and be around like-minded people. Another term that I like to use a lot is a third place, right? You have your first place, which is your home. Your second place is usually your work. And your third place is a place to kind of just convene, like community-oriented, where just people can come together regardless of what your line of work is or economic disparity that's out there. Just everyone come on in and get together and enjoy the thing that you like, i.e. cannabis. And then really move it around in terms of the entertainment that we'll offer, whether it's music or DJs or movie viewings, but seamlessly integrated. So it's not like this thing where today it's movie night. Like, yeah, that's just kind of weak. It's more like when you walk in, there's going to be a lot of things to keep you entertained. So you'll walk in, you'll be introduced by our maitre d, aka host, and we'll be asking you a lot of questions because again, it's a matter of we have to educate ourselves as well as, you know, probably educate some of these new consumers. And we're going to bring them in. We're going to learn about them, learn about their experience, find out the things that they like, you know, show them all the things that are out there, seat them, present them with cannabis, allow them to smoke. And then after that, you know, have a bite to eat or just sit back, chill and watch the show. And, you know, again, just make it where I'm hoping that we can bring people together to start sharing ideas and utilize this venue more as a platform to show a lot more people that this is just like any other social setting outside
1: of your home. How are you guys going to balance uh, alcohol consumption with cannabis consumption? Is there kind so of there's there's, there's of no
0: there's no cannabis sold in these venues? That is also my nightmare. You know, is the whole you know cross pollination per se, the cross fading that we have to try to prevent in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always a big thing. We're here to party. But again, I think the way we develop this venue and create it where it kind of feels, you know, like the cool kids place to go to. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's going to be more of a destination play here where it's not like let's pre-party, you know, at town nightclub and get shit canned and then go smoke a joint after. I'm hoping to avoid that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, again, maybe 10 years from now when we can, you know, be feel more responsible as adults and we can understand our limitations. But I just think that because this is so new, we really have to take things slow.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So let's go through that process. Somebody walks in, they talk to the major D, they sit down at the table. Can they order through a waitress service? Do they have to bring their own? How does that work?
0: So all cannabis will be sold within our four walls. So you are purchasing your cannabis at our venue. This is no different than me buying a beer at a bar. I don't bring, you know, my bottle of Hennessy when I go to the bar. Clearly, this is a thing that we do in cannabis sometimes, but no, that shit's done. You know, you're coming in here to buy the weed in all the different ways, shapes, or forms that we offer. You know, this is basically a very cool dispensary, and this is why I say these social use lounges become a new part of the industry is because dispensaries are going to very quickly become distribution centers, the way liquor is sold through you know giant warehouses. In the event that this takes off the way we envision, so yes, you get the guests are coming in to buy you know the cannabis as well as deciding what kind of utilization of tools and you know accessories paraphernalia. We plan on having all that for you.
1: And honestly, that's probably a really a lot lower barrier of entry for someone who's curious about cannabis, right? They can come in and maybe buy a form factor in a smaller concentration that they would have access to in a dispensary, right?
0: So, you know, I always go back to the first time I went to Amsterdam. I was still in... No, I just got out of high school. And I just got zoined. Like, I just got destroyed (laughs) because I was like, I want that white widow. And I was buying weed in New York back in the day. Talking about the early 90s. So I was smoking sticks and seeds most of my teenage years. And so to finally have you know my hand at this amazing true you know cannabis product, and I got lit up. And now you know we're talking about twenty plus years later, cannabis is even more potent and you know more curated and a, so much more of a better product. I want to avoid that situation that I personally went through because yeah, there should be more form factors that allow for people to just enjoy a nice buzz. Which is why again I keep going back to this thing, right? Like a cannabis drink maybe it hasn't done quite so well in the industry thus far, but with lounges, I think it takes on a whole new form factor. So yeah, we can introduce cannabis too. You don't have to smoke this blunt. Please enjoy this, you know, mocktail that we've created. That's two to three milligrams of cannabis THC.
2: Yeah, I think it'll do a a massive job of kind of not only removing the stigma, but getting people more socially acceptable with the experience, right? Because we can, three of us could go to a bar and not all of us have to drink and we can all participate in the experience, but from a cannabis consumption lounge, some people's initial reaction might be, but I don't consume. So it'll be a critical component in kind of reducing the stigma and adopting more of the normalization.
0: You know, uh, Dazed and Confused, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, there's some TikTok guys, mixed something or other, you know, that still exists. And to be able to start, you know, having these venues where people are gonna take pictures, We love to take pictures of ourselves, you know, and they're showing everyone like, hey, I'm in a lounge and it's just, it's normal. There's nothing weird about this. This isn't some kind of grimy back corner, which is what we're doing right now, right? And like, I I think we're almost used to it now that, you know, it's almost weird that we might have something nice for ourselves.
1: It is pretty wild. I mean, you guys are kind of at the forefront of changing cultural stigma, right? Because I think the biggest thing from a a cultural conversation is like you were just describing, like cannabis has been associated with people smoking something that's detrimental to their health. But with this opportunity, it, it creates this normal environment where people are used to and they see like, hey, I go to a bar, I usually drink something. It's the exact same thing, but it's just a different chemical, right? So what is that? What's that weight like? I mean, kind of being at the forefront of helping curb the cultural stigma associated with cannabis.
0: So in a previous life, when I had my first nightclub, it was a video game inspired bar. And so there was like, just it was all the video games and arcade cabinets and stuff that I was passionate about. It was 10 years too early. No one knew what it was. I was just doing something that was weird to a lot of people. 10 years later now, video games are everywhere. So this is why I have such utmost confidence in this, because It's just a matter of time. You can throw all the money at something all you want. If you don't catch that crest of the wave, you're just burning money. Right now, I think we're at that top crest of the wave where we'll catch it. And it's going to be pushed into like a normal mentality for mainstream audiences. And I want to kind of segue that to the food opportunity. You know, we talked about smoking, we talked about drinking. But, you know, I do think that as we start doing more curated, you know, Las Vegas chef style infused meals you know but we do it in again sophisticated tasteful manner we got some great guys out there flying around you know the world doing this right well, let's get them out of the shadows let's bring them front and center you know guys like the nomad cook and the herbal chef you know these are people that are out there really doing cool shit and paying top dollar for it good guess what vegas we love top dollar stuff come on in we'll do it really cool but you know then over time what's going to happen is now it's like hey you know what people are drinking it people are smoking it people are eating it People are rubbing it on their bodies and now suddenly you're going to start seeing schools and medical you know, facilities start saying, hey, let's study this more. Let's look at this more because more and more people are going to start demanding it. So I'm looking at it definitely from the, you know, the more we make this approachable and the more people start getting the word out to this non-endemic audience. Not just all of us patting ourselves on the back because we've all been part of this for so long, right? Hey, We're the cool kids. But no. Extend that out there so that we can start getting more ambassadors to start saying this is why this is important and we have to start looking more into this. And again, normalization happens.
2: Just to clarify, that, that will mean there'll be an infused food on the menus for people who don't smoke or drink can can eat their cannabinoids? So we right now are
0: going to take things very slowly, step by step. You know, one of the things I want to ensure is that we don't fuck this up, right? Everyone could come in like, I'm doing something new. I'm going to kick the door down. Look at me. No, we don't want to go about things that way. We want to take things slow. We want to start learning about what this consumer market looks like and little by little start opening up to more exciting things. So maybe a year from now, we start really, you know, popping into cannabis infused meals regularly versus like a pop up here and there. Because again, I think it's important that it's not only us as operators trying to figure out how well this works, it's the consumers. Like, we don't want people to come in and, you know, whether we screw up or whether they, you know, just kind of underestimate their tolerance and suddenly they're having a bad time. Now we all have a bad time. So, you know, I really want to take things slow. And I think that's something that we can do because it took us this long just to get the regs done. And yeah, you know, I want to maintain kind of a, slow and steady. But at the same time, I mentioned earlier, nimble, like one day this works cool. Let's do that. But then if we have to make a hard left turn, we're in a position where we can do that.
2: It's a, it's a challenging balance you're in, right? Trying to cater to a specific audience, but also not to alienate certain ones, right? Because we're talking about like dabs, we're talking about bongs, but we're also talking about like bachelor parties and bachelor parties. So how do you find that mixture? And like, who t- take us through who you think is the ideal client customer early on and let's say two or five years from now.
0: Music lovers, you know, I want to find something that just brings everyone together first. It's impossible as a business owner to say, I want this customer, that customer, this demographic, without just trying to find the one thing that brings everyone together. And from my perspective, that's music. And so I really want to feature, you know, as we're putting this kind of science project together, right? Like, bring people together based on the love of music. And whether it's the 70s, the 80s, some new indie scene, classic hip-hop, modern hip-hop... I want all that in there. And then the opportunity here is, you know, the experience in the venue with said music. So there are many times where you can go in and you can hear a song. But if it's on a really high fidelity system and you're with a bunch of people around you and then you hear that song you really love and you hear things you didn't hear in it because your headphones are kind of shitty, you know, like suddenly like it's a whole new thing. And so I want to create that new experience where the music brings people together and they're enjoying just the whole general vibe. And then we can figure out who those customers are. And I say that because, again, to go back to my insert coins days, I had people from 21 to 55 coming in. You'd have a guy who came in all the time. He was a lawyer in Las Vegas who played NFL Blitz. He was the biggest nerd in the world. And he's hanging out with beautiful women playing Street Fighter. And, you know, it it was just cool. And there was no way of saying, like, how are those two demographics getting together? It was their love of video games. So for the Cannabis Lounge, you know, it's definitely the love of cannabis. But to get that to your, you know, question about people outside of the R world and our, you know, traditional
1: consumer, yeah, it's going to be bringing people together via music. So you're trying to accomplish a lot of things with this venue. What are the? What's the biggest challenge from a design perspective? Oh God, that's the biggest challenge of all.
0: Um, (laughs) So, you know, and and look, I'm all about transparency. I love to be honest about like things so that people understand how easy things are, or how hard things are. We are still trying to figure out the best way to have this place designed because it's not just the way it looks. It's the way it's going to smell. Right. I mean, this we got to talk about HVAC systems that are going to be massively huge investments. And now I have to hide the sound of that very loud noise. Great. Now I want curtains. Oh, but curtains are going to, you know, Soak up the smell of cannabis smoke. Or what do I do here? So, you know, I think, again, what's fun about this project is what we open up in, you know, three to four months could be something completely different a year from now, just because we're going to realize, you know, this doesn't work because of this reason. And we don't know what those reasons are yet. And, you know, anyone who says they're an expert, I always push back like, no, you don't know what you don't know. This is a completely untapped territory. You know, maybe and I say this because I have been approached with some wild shit. Like, oh, you need to have this thing in there. And I'm like, no, I don't need to look like, you know, an LSD trip, you know, kind of, you know, whatever, whatever. There's some wild things that are out there. I really do, at the end of the day, want to make this more about, again, approachability. You go to any lounge in Las Vegas, you go to any really high-end bar or even cigar bar, right? There's a level of sophistication and comfort that I think is first and foremost. So, you know, we have 40 licenses in Nevada that will be, you know presenting cannabis lounges in some way, shape or form.
2: And they'll all be very different. And that's okay. I can only imagine that was Evan that gave you the recommendation, right, So <laughs> <laughs> Continuing on that, I, I want the listeners to know like the location and how and how incredible it is, right? Because we're talking about like access to the strip. Also, it's, it's proximity to a gentleman's club. So can you just give the listeners, <laughs> I mean, like the spillover is gonna be, it's gonna be helpful because you can imagine that people are showing up Maybe intoxicated, maybe not. Interested in attending one. Maybe don't want to wait on the line. And also see, oh my God, a cannabis lounge right here. So give the listeners a little more proximity on exactly how close it is to the Strip. You can
0: literally walk to our venue from Resorts World. So everyone, go get your rooms at Resorts World. Brand new casino, lots of rooms, great dining and entertainment. And you could literally walk over from that venue. Uh, And if you happen to like the ladies, there's a Strip Club in our parking lot. And so, you know, whether there's the big game or some kind of excuse for you guys to go to those spots. Yeah, that's also a walk right away from there. And that's Sapphires and Sapphires is the largest gentleman's club in the entire state, if not the world. So, you know, yeah, we are very fortunate that I believe will be a destination in and of itself. But our neighbors are pretty fucking cool.
1: Were they uh, were they open? To the the whole on, consumption lounge, were they supporters? Did you guys get
0: any pushback? What was that dialogue so, like? Yeah. So look to to again a little more, you know, uh, what was it? What was the Alexander Hamilton to be in the room song? My kid loves that song, but I forget it. But you know, point is in the beginning there was a lot of pushback, and rightfully so, because it's, you know, again, the fear of the unknown. And the reality uh, is because of federal regulations, we don't want to hurt our casino partners. They are the lifeblood of this city. But, you know, again, what was great about this whole ordeal was an opportunity to learn and to hear us out and also to understand, like, look, man, we don't want to hurt you. And we just want to introduce this thing that we know there's a market for. You know, right now at the time of this recording, there's a cannabis tourism um, conference happening. I'm actually speaking on tomorrow. And, you know, the amount of people that are in this conference right now, and they're talking about like global tourism. So... You know it was more of an understanding that this market isn't as small, although I still, you know hold firm. We're still a niche. but it's still an important market. So yeah, over time, the casino partners of ours were less of getting in our way and more of, hey, guys, just don't fuck this up
1: uh, to clarify for our listeners, could you explain why casinos could be very opposed to cannabis from a federal perspective just for those who don't understand sure. how that whole thing works?
0: So with gaming licenses, they are, you know, to some degree, state run, and we're seeing this right now by way of the sports betting, that's just hitting every state in the country right now. But at the end of the day, those licenses are federally regulated. So they still have to report to the big federal government. And because of the classification of cannabis, it falls under, you know, a federally illegal product. And we just can't mix that oil and vinegar. And while I like to make the joke about, man, every time I go to a nightclub in a casino, I see lots of federally illegal things happening. (laughs) Um, You know, we still have to, you know, play our part and, you know, do the politics and just understand like, no, look, we don't want to see anything bad happen to those guys because, like I said, they're, they're the lifeblood of our city.
2: It's such a critical moment too, right? You're dealing with all those challenges. But another area that I really wanted to bring up was the fact that you could help some of these smaller brands get exposure to wider clientele. With Las Vegas being like the epic center of everybody from a traveling destination, people coming in might not get exposure to some of these brands. So when we talk about kind of brand growth, have any brands approach you and say, hey, Chris, we'd love to find partnerships where you can put some of our products into your store?
0: You know, it's a great question because I don't think the canvas industry understands just how important this is but I like to always give history lessons and that's Red Bull. You know, once upon a time, Red Bull was a brand new energy drink that people didn't know about. But right? again, look at where it is today. What we saw in Las Vegas, maybe 10 to 15 years ago, when it was like the true emergence of nightlife where, you know, the palms place and the nine group tau, All these groups are to open up. And what was happening were liquor companies were spending exorbitant amounts of money to get placement on their shelves. And that was a real thing. Then all of a sudden, energy drinks come out. And they're doing like 3x in terms of sponsorship deals because they're trying to get their product to a younger market. And the fascinating thing about cannabis is you know, Gen Z is basically our new market. It's massive how normalized cannabis is for that group. I do see in the future these sponsorship deals because of the way we'll have eyeballs whether it's you know in the venue itself or to your point events streaming events concert events whatever events and it's in Las Vegas and you know we have your product front and center I do believe it's a very smart business deal and I say that because of what I saw when Red Bull was you know doling out hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their product front and center. And guess what people don't talk about a lot anymore? Monster. (laughs) So, you know, the Red Bull vodka was something that really happened because of Las Vegas nightlife. And I do see that kind of replicated again, as this cannabis industry becomes more hospitality focused, social, you know, use focused, nightlife focused, etc.
2: Customer loyalty is a real thing, right? They get that first-time experience and they find a product they really like. And for example, a lot of people always go to that edible experience where they tried an edible in college, it didn't have a good experience, but then they tried a one or a wild... Thanks for sponsoring the podcast, guys. And then they experience (laughs) it and they're hooked, right? Like next time they go into a dispensary, they always want that. And That's how I see kind of the formulation of the lounges where they try a product maybe they haven't had and it could be such a strong association... When they go back home, maybe to feel more comfortable going to a dispensary and finding that same product recognition or maybe something similar like that, which is, I think, an incredible opportunity for these brands to be placement in front and center.
0: I love everything you said because we have been preaching exactly that from the perspective of, you know, when you buy product from a dispensary, the dispensary finds out how things were from a secondhand or third hand experience. In these venues, we're going to be seeing it right in front of us. I mean, it's a firsthand experience. Hey, how do you like what's happening right now? And, you know, that's exciting. And then more importantly, because of the social aspect of it, you know, I mean, I don't think anyone really starts by Casamigos because it was good. It was because George Clooney looks good. But then everyone was drinking Casamigos. And then suddenly it wasn't about George Clooney. It was about Casamigos the wonderful world of marketing. This is what cannabis will find itself in as well, where you know maybe less so of the, what is it? Like the celebrity endorsed stuff, but just all the people around me are really enjoying this. I want to try it too. And yeah, it's definitely going to be a mainstream reveal eventually.
2: Absolutely. So I want to stay back in the dispensary. Are there any limitations or any special cannabis uh, challenges or limitations where, for example, a table can only purchase X amount?
0: So again, very, very smart regulations that were developed. There's definitely limitations that we as operators have to figure out because we want to prevent overconsumption. However, we made a very big argument that what's good for one person isn't good for another and the other way around. And so the argument that I would always make is we carry Bacardi 151 in bars. Do you decide to drink a whole bottle of Bacardi 151? Hope not. But we have to have it because, you know, we need it for this, that, and the third. So to answer your question, you know, as best as I can, we're looking at this as a single serve product each time we sell your product. So whether it's a joint, whether it's a, you know, infused meal, whether it's a drink, each time that is a single serve option. If I buy a case of Heineken, I give you one bottle. And we'll monitor just exactly how well you as the consumer are, you know, reacting. And again, part of this whole... um Science project, per se, is is the opportunity to really get our hands dirty at the same time as offering white glove treatment. And what I mean by that is I want to learn about everything about you right even before you walk to the door so we can ensure that your experience is right. What you you know enjoy is different from what somebody else enjoys, and we have to figure that out beforehand
1: are you going to like prevent certain form factors from being consumed just from like a uh, potential cultural stigma, right? I'm thinking of... So
0: we're talking about dabs. I, yeah. <laughs> we're just, just <laughs> killing. Hot,
1: I was house. trying come to beat
0: around the bush. You see that? <laughs> no, that's not the way I do things. Let's get right to it. There are no butane torches and flamethrowers with nails um, in these venues. And it's just because of safety and because there's yeah. a lot of other opportunities to, you know, look, I, and I'll tell you from experience, that I was always intimidated by dab culture because I took a hit once and I was gonzo for way too long. But, you know, over time, I start to understand, okay, this, that, and the third, I'm getting more acclimated. But I will tell you, if I had a Dr. Dabber product as the, you know, methodology to use my product versus this, like I said, butane torch and, and, and you know, it, literally a brave heart weapon you know, is being used to utilize this product, it's it's hard to get other people to see that. But I don't yeah. want to alienate, you know, a market that really loves that. So why would I, you know, pull it off the shelves entirely? Did I think about that in the beginning? I will tell you truthfully, I did. Because I was like, until we find like a better form factor for this, I, we're going to either set the place on fire or we're going to scare people away. So yeah. thankfully, there's a lot of great new technology that our guests can enjoy dabbing without a problem.
2: But the state hasn't defined that you couldn't have certain product forms or saying you, you could only limit total consumption of, let's say, X milligrams per table or per individual. It's given you free reign to to see as you see best. The way the
0: regs were written at the end of the day gave the trust into the operators mm-hmm. with the understanding that the operators should know what they're doing. They better know what they're doing. you know. And again, because of how much there's an unknown, any additional limitations would probably hurt the industry as a whole.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one what of those that, things where, where you guys haven't seen what over consumption even really looks like in a, a general public setting. Like uh, I see really it in every nightclub.
0: Things. I see people get dragged out of every nightclub. Like it's but with cannabis, happen. but with cannabis, right, you know, right. But yeah. you know,
1: and it's
0: I'm glad you brought it up because another thing that's really fascinating is what we are hearing now that some of these lounges are opening up throughout the country or another or in other countries for that matter. And you know, again, if people pass out, right, that was the big thing. Oh my God, oh. people are going to pass out, and I was like, you know what happens. On St. Patrick's Day, every year, in every bar, someone passes out. So, you know, it's a matter of let's be prepared for those things. And how do we prevent that from happening? And I think that's by way of being, you know, very staff-oriented and staff-heavy to ensure that people that, you know, again, let's all work together on this so that, yeah, we don't have that embarrassing moment. And we find ourselves like, well, what do we do now? We have things in place to prevent overconsumption. We have things in place to when people do overconsume, how are we going to handle that? And let's just be realistic. Like these things happen. I'm not going to sit there and say this is a perfect, you know, pristine, nothing will ever go wrong opportunity that's asinine.
2: Yeah, it's hospitality at the end of the day, right? And Las Vegas had seen its fair share of uh, opportunities and surprises. And if you go down Fremont Street, you probably have your eyes opened up pretty, pretty wildly on, on what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things happen on Fremont Street, folks. Things that are, are just things. unforsaken, possibly. Yeah. My um, eyes are still burning. <laughs> mine as well. I got to need a therapist after what I saw. So let's talk about doggy bags. So let's say I, I bought too much of a product and I want to take it home, just like I have a meal and I have some leftovers. Is that possible?
0: Do you take your drinks home from a bar? Oh, thank maybe, you. That, maybe a bottle of wine. That if, answers that question. I'm I mean, sure. the, the reality <laughs> is our regs do not allow for any product to leave the lounge. Because you're not a dispensary. You are in a consumption lounge. So it's very different, right? We'll have to destroy what is not being used. But again, this is where it's all education time, right? Let's all go... Yeah. And let's have these conversations even before these doors open so that someone doesn't come in and like, I'm going to buy this much weed. And oh, wait, I have to leave it here. And now they're upset. So, no, those rules will be very clearly announced when you come in. You cannot leave with the weed that you have not finished.
2: When's it open and when can people visit?
0: Oh, boy, I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> the The answer is soon. I would like to see us open before 420. Absolutely. That is the goal of goals. You know, let's celebrate 420 in Las Vegas like never before.
2: Um, That's the goal. If I'm wrong, it'll be soon after, or it might be earlier. We shall see. What's the biggest challenge with setting something like this up that most wouldn't know?
0: What's the biggest challenge?
2: Um, You know, again, it's, it's,
0: it's making people understand what this industry is. And I say this from this perspective. We're helping some of the social equity um, applicants as well as some independent license holders It was a lottery so some people you know just hey I got a license now what you know and they have a great idea what was really fascinating was finding it was hard to get it capitalized right and just raising capital for what you think is the easiest thing in the world like cannabis is recession proof again, this is what we know this is anecdotal though. I can probably raise more money for a traditional bar restaurant than some of our applicants can to open up one of the first cannabis lounges in the whole country. And it's that that has been probably the toughest pill to swallow is just how much people still don't see how important this market is. How how incredibly fast it will still continue to grow, and how much these lounges can be the thing that makes it grow. So I have seen amazing business plans and amazing you know, ls and just business forecasts where traditional investors are like, mm, I can't get into this. There's no banking, there's no this, there's no that. And we're like, this is a home run. You know, you're gonna buy into the metaverse and NFT monkeys but you're not going to buy into the oldest plants that we've been using for, you know, eons and now we're making the bar for it. What's wrong here? So I think again, you know, to answer the question, it's just
2: how hard it has been to show the normies just how important this market is. Was there a single reason that most of them leaned on or was there just a variety of different there's ones? so many. I
0: mean, it's the it's it's everyone's, you know, questions about cannabis, right? It's just It's illegal. (laughs) That's just it. Federally, it's illegal. So that's strike one. Banking is hard. That's strike two. Oh, you know, it's cash only business. Therefore, there's crime. Strike three. I don't know what happens with people who smoke weed and drive. Strike four. I'll give you 10 strikes like off the top of the dome right now. Uh, It's just, again, we passionately know what this is. But when you get into, you know, outside of our world, you're really up against a lot
2: of what ifs and whys. Are there any assets, efforts, or strategies you wish people paid more attention to? Yeah, I wish I paid
0: attention to the questions that you sent me beforehand because I would have had a better answer for this. I wanted your your honest response. I know, no, no. Could you ask me that question again? That's a lot.
2: Are there any assets, efforts, or strategies you wish people paid more attention to? For example, you, you developed out this, an elaborate business plan. You you provided Mm -hmm. specifics on how you broke down with the entertainment focus. And a lot of people lean right versus you thinking they should lean left.
0: No, again, I think the biggest thing is we just need more studies. um, And I wish we had that. You know, I mean, I wish we just had more language outside of our world to, you know, make people understand, but we just don't have it. It's impossible to have. So, you know, if I had anything, you know, it would be, you know, I have the Cleveland Clinic here in Las Vegas, you know what I'm saying? Like, Hey Cleveland Clinic, let's look at weed. And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of things that I wish we had in terms of maybe ambassadors and just thought leaders outside of our world that had a better understanding of this industry and business rejection. Um, I think that's coming now because I mean, I don't know how many interviews I've done with like beverage, like, you know, websites and food and stuff. So, yeah, no, it's only a matter of time. So, just again, don't have the best answer for that because we didn't have a lot. We just had our own, just kind of grit.
1: The hardest thing about this whole situation is it's kind of like a chicken and the egg, right? Like, you can't get more studies done if it's not more accessible. And it can't be more accessible if we don't have more studies. So it's like, it's not an easy place to be.
0: No. And that will change soon. But you're dead on. It really was, you know, again, it's it's a philosophy argument right now. So checking the egg is perfect. What's the future roadmap? So here's how I see things, right? Because Vegas has to really embrace its hospitality roots, I really want us to do this the right way out the gates immediately to start getting that excitement again and more importantly the expansion into other jurisdictions. We have seen the regs for New York and New Jersey. You know, thankfully there's a senator in California who recently announced, you know, he's introducing a bill to allow for food and beverage to be in cannabis lounges. You know, great job everyone. <laughs> like who would have thought that would be important? So, you know, it's kind of those things that I'm hoping that we can show, you know, how we do it. And then the the we kind of become the golden um that's the term that we like to use. Look, no one does sports betting better than Vegas. Everyone is doing sports betting right now. They learned it from us. You know, we're kind of looking at that from a somewhat narcissistic and egotistical perspective, where if we do this the right
2: way, we hope that other jurisdictions follow suit. Turns out when people consume cannabis, they all get hungry. Wild. That's, wow. Did we need a study for that? <laughs> did I need a study? <laughs> Let me write that down. You know what? Again, <laughs> I'm willing to did. participate in that study. If we kind of <laughs> so before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be?
0: Uh, again, I, I always stand on this. You don't know what you don't know. There's something to be said about being empathetic with people that you're speaking to because too many times we talk at and we think we know all. And a lot of times what you don't realize is it's a very small barrier to getting your point across because we're too busy tell, 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 I know, I know, I'm the expert. And look, podcasts all over the world right now, are, we're the experts, listen to us. It's really more about, no, you don't know everything. You don't know what's coming. Please be prepared. And yeah, I, I'm. I'm a big fan of learning and being continuously engaged and listening to why things don't work. These lounge regulations took this long because we had to understand what was holding us back. No matter how much, you know, over the course of six years, the regs that we finally had were the same things we had in our head six years ago. So we knew what we wanted. We got what we wanted. But to get there, it took a lot of work to understand why others didn't see it through and how we worked through that. Well
2: said. All right, prediction time. Chris, do cannabis consumption lounges pose a threat to the bar industry? I love this question. (laughs) Why or why not?
0: It absolutely doesn't because it is ingrained from the again it's American culture we have to look at this from a culture perspective we are going to watch the Super Bowl in this weekend at the time of this recording and you know there's going to be a lot of commercials for beer thankfully no commercials for crypto this year but you know the point being is there's just centuries of you know drinking in our consciousness and in due time whether it's three or four generations, Will we be a little more competitive? Yes, I believe so. You know, I do think that we're going to find that this product is much more, you know, just the days of, um, but just the days of reefer madness will finally be over, right? Like people won't know the 70s at all three generations from now. So, you know, I do think that there's something to be said about there's enough, and I like, to call, I like to call cannabis a social lubricant, right? Whether And I do like Hennessy and I do like wine and I do like a beer here and there. And I do like my weed. So, you know, I don't think it just makes it go away. I just think it's just another option.
1: Gallen. I agree. I think that, I think it stems from my belief that I think cannabis and alcohol are just fundamentally different. And I know individuals out there believe that alcohol or cannabis could be a replacement alcohol but i just believe that they're fundamentally different and they're not going to compete because like they'll compete for people's time and attention but i don't think that they're directly competing for like the same experience if you will like if i smoke a dozen joints i'm not like going to be out until 2 a.m having a good time and talking about life on a on a porch or something right um versus if i'm having beers with my friends or drinking wine That's probably going to be the avenue I end up. So they're fundamentally different, in my opinion. And so I think that they won't be direct competitors. It will eat into some of alcohol's bottom line, I think. But I don't think it's going to be like, completely take over the alcohol industry, right? What do you think, Brian?
2: So I came on here thinking I was gonna have had to advocate for the alcohol industry. And now that both of you have taken that side, I will have to advocate for the other side. So
0: yes. (laughs) Spin, spin, sugar.
2: I I do think it is a big threat, right? And exactly like we talked about today, Chris. We talked about the fact that studies are going to come out and, and I believe or I'm confident that the studies will come out and show that cannabis is not as bad as what a lot of people assume these negatives are. And I think as people continue to progress, we'll find more studies that solidify the fact that alcohol is very bad for you. And maybe not over 10 or 20 or 30 years, but I think 50, 60 years from now, we could completely flip the switch and cannabis consumption lounges could be more of the norm where the bars can be more of the minority, like just like we used to not we used to smoke inside restaurants. We don't do that anymore. So maybe they'll make adjustments in, in people's behaviors, which would lead cannabis consumption lounges to be a real threat to the bar industry.
0: Yeah, and 30 years from now, we're gonna have farmers putting Gatorade on their corn because you know, we hit idiocracy. So no one's reading studies. So yeah, you're Take your take and get it out of here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Electrolytes. So Chris, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to visit the lounge. Where can they find you?
0: So for right now, let's just look for me at Chris of Coins on Instagram. Chris Laporte on LinkedIn. Um, You know, social media for cannabis is hard. But, you know, give us some time and we're going to make some pretty big announcements in the next couple of weeks. So find me there. And, you know, a year from now, when we're over here having this next podcast talking about psilocybin and how that's going to be the thing that goes into the bar industry. You know, just let's just keep these conversations going, because I think there's a lot that we,
2: you know, collectively have to learn from each other. Absolutely. This was fun. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you, guys. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
2: Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana hemp and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.